speak to you in the name of one God, creator, redeemer, and sustainer. Amen. Welcome to Lent, everyone. I wonder if you noticed our parish building's very subtle Lenten practice that they've taken on. Uh, scaffolding, fences, and a crane. We tried to encourage her to just pick one, but she insisted on all three. For real, though, on Thursday morning, when I came to work and saw that big crane and, and equipment outside, it kind of caught me off guard. And I work here. I knew that was coming. And hopefully a lot of you knew that this was coming, too, but it still is a bit jarring to see. But this work of restoration on our bell tower that has now begun, it is necessary and it's important work. And it's going to look different around here for a while. It might be a little frustrating at times even. But how amazing that you and I get to be a part of this part of the church's chapter in both uncovering the past and doing the work of repair. Others could probably put it a lot more eloquently than me, but I wonder if there's not this kind of synchronicity going on that this restoration project is coinciding with the beginning of Lent. After all, Lent is this 40-day season where we dedicate time to refocus our energy and our awareness to restoration of another sort. Now, it's not some kind of spiritual facelift where we can shortcut our way to look like Christ. And it's not a time to tear ourselves down when we miss the mark in our Lenten practices that maybe you've taken on. But Lent is a time to restore. It's a time to return to God, to get back to our foundation, the ground of our being. And we do that by trying to turn away from those things that distract us, the things that numb and distort our ability to love God and love our neighbor, and to turn toward what helps us experience the beloved, the holy that's all around us. This past Wednesday, I, like many of you, had ashes put on my forehead. And they were made in the sign of the cross. And when they were imposed, we heard the words, Remember you are dust, and to dust you shall return. It's reminding us that at the end of the day, at the end of it all, the only thing that will remain is God and God's faithful love. I first put ashes on someone's forehead and said those words to another person when I was a seminarian. And from that morning and every Ash Wednesday since, I have found it to be one of the most holy and one of the most humbling experiences. On Wednesday, I got to do this for between five and 600 people. I had chapel services in the morning at the Episcopal School where I served part-time, and I spent the evening here for Ashes to go out on the plaza and for the 7 o'clock service in this space. And the foreheads that I smudged, they ranged from curious, wide-eyed first graders all dressed up in their Valentine's Day best to folks who were approaching their 90s. Some came in their best suits, others showed up in work uniforms. A few couples stopped by on their way to their Valentine's Day dinner. And a school group from Minnesota rode up as a little pack on electric scooters. And there was one young woman who stood out. Tears just started to fill her eyes as the cross was made on her forehead. And I think she was just overwhelmed for a moment. 
I'm so sorry, I don't know why I'm crying, she said. But her tears, they weren't the only ones I saw that day, and I, I shed a few of my own. And I don't know exactly why she was crying either, but I wonder if part of what was going on is that the reminder of our own mortality that we are confronted with so viscerally on Ash Wednesday, it's connected in such an intimate and a physical way with where we are marked as Christ's own forever at our baptism. In that same spot where ashes are made in the cross and we hear, remember you are dust, we had the sign of the cross made in oil on the day of our baptism. You are sealed by the Holy Spirit in baptism and marked as Christ's own forever. Baptism affirms what has always been true, that you are God's beloved. And so as Lent begins, we have our frail, mortal, imperfect, and beautiful bodies face all of this while we try to stay grounded in that belovedness. A cross on our foreheads, this tangible through line that unites these realities within ourselves, and it connects us to Jesus. And speaking of Jesus, I want to jump into his story for a little bit, the part that we heard this morning. Every first Sunday in Lent, we get a version of Jesus's temptation in the wilderness. And this year, we get Mark's account. And true to form, Mark covers a lot of ground in just a few sentences. Today's gospel is only seven verses long, but three big things happen. Jesus is baptized, he's tempted in the wilderness, and he begins his ministry in Galilee. I found it helpful to hear how another Sarah, Sarah Henrik, who teaches at Luther Seminary, how she reflects on the gift of Mark's brevity. She says, Our attention is focused precisely on Jesus and the message that he brings. This clearing away of extraneous detail, it forces our attention on Jesus, and that is what Lent is all about. At Jesus' baptism, we hear that the heavens are torn apart and that the Spirit descends like a dove. And a lot of stained glass window depictions of this scene, including our own, which is kind of just back there on the right-hand side, near the back of the church, the moment almost looks idyllic. Usually Jesus has his eyes closed, sometimes John even does too. But the text is recalling a more apocalyptic scene. And we hear echoes of verses like Isaiah 62, 4. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down. This is one of those tearing open the heavens moments. This longing for an act of God that breaks through and accomplishes the justice so yearned for sees the divine not only take on flesh and blood to preach and teach and heal, but also to do the cosmic and spiritual work of taking on forces of evil that seek to tear us away from God and seek to tear us away from one another. And that descending dove quickly becomes more like the Celtic wild goose, chasing and sending Jesus out into the wilderness. I wonder if we might hear this part of Mark's gospel calling us to envision Lent as a kind of holy disruption that's grounded in the longing for God to set things right. It's not just about focusing on a seven-week practice that will strengthen our willpower to, in the face of social media or caffeine or alcohol. 
all of which can definitely and might have an outsized role in our lives. But to see this time as a holy disruption of a deeper nature, one that calls us to be part of repairing the breach, the breach that separates us from remembering our own belovedness and the belovedness of every single person that we encounter. Not just the people that we love and the people that we love to see here on Sunday mornings, but those people that we really struggle to even give the time of day to. If we really saw that belovedness in ourselves, if we really believed that we were God's beloved and that everyone is God's beloved, the people across the political aisle, the people living in war zones and at borders, people living in shelters and people living in mansions, if we really believed that they were beloved too, just like us, how would our lives be different? How would we live differently? How would we think differently? Now, if you're sitting here thinking, well, yeah, that's nice and that would be good, but how do I get there? Where do I even start? Or maybe you're thinking, I've already screwed this up because I didn't go to Ash Wednesday, or I didn't even know Ash Wednesday was a thing, or I've already messed up my Lenten practice, so I should just stop. I want you to just let all of those things go. This is what verse 3 of our psalm says. Show me your ways, O Lord, and teach me your paths. Show me your ways and teach me your paths. It is never too late for that to be your prayer. And it's one that you can and probably will always need to lean on. I certainly do. The other blessing that ties baptism and Ash Wednesday and the start of Lent together is this reminder that the Christian life, it is not a solo project. It's not this self-improvement scheme. It is grounded in community. Everyone who is present for a baptism service, which we had just last week at the 9 o'clock service, everyone who's present renews their baptismal covenant and promises to support that person who's being baptized in their life in Christ. On Ash Wednesday, we see each other with that ash on our foreheads. Our fragileness is undeniable. I'm dust, you're dust, we are all dust. And we confess together, just like we did at the beginning of this service, for the ways that we fail to honor the goodness in ourselves and in others, those things we've done and those things we've left undone, both as individuals but also as a community, including this community. We undertake this walk into the wilderness toward Holy Week, the cross and the tomb, with one another. And if it's feeling hard to connect with others in this kind of way, let your clergy know. Let members of the vestry know. Join me and other parents on Tuesday nights in Lent for people who are young, parents of young children, which is kind of its own wilderness. Sign up for the inquirer's class or the next round of being with. Go be part of an outreach ministry. Get outside of your daily routine. Or just stay for parish lunch today. Now, you don't have to do any of those things, and you probably shouldn't do all of those things, all at once at least. But there is community here. A wonderfully imperfect collection of pilgrims, and we need you to be a part of it. 
Show us your ways, O Lord, and teach us your paths. Happy Lent, friends. You are dust, and you are beloved. Amen.